Well, this morning I want to talk to you about mercy, and would you forgive me? I'm going to ask you to stand one more time just out of respect for the word of the Lord, and I want to read you one verse of scripture, and then I'll ask you to be seated again. This is a prayer. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Would you read that as a prayer with me? Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Father, I just prayed that you would make us a merciful people, but this morning we need a fresh understanding of mercy. We need a fresh move of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord. And I think there are many here with me who hunger for that and we're looking to you. God, revive us again. Refresh us and renew us in the Spirit. And so I ask you this morning to help us to see how great is the mercy of God that has been demonstrated towards us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. I apologize for making you stand again. Donald Miller, whom one of our former students here at the church years ago that has gone on to be a youth pastor himself, and um, I had the privilege of doing his wedding, and now he's a dad of children that are almost to become teenagers, and um, today we have another one of our uh, young couples, Emily and uh, Bryant, Brian. Emily and Derek, Derek, if you're watching, forgive me. Emily and Derek are getting married today in Ohio, and I hope you'll be praying for them. But sometimes you learn a lot just by listening to young people. And one of our students came to me and says, Pastor, you really need to read this book. And whenever a student tells me something like that, I want to know why I need, because the emphasis is on need. And he says, Pastor, this really speaks to my generation. And the author of the book was Donald Miller. I enjoyed the book, and this particular book I'm talking about is Searching for God Knows What. And Don Miller was speaking to a Christian campus, to a Bible college campus, of students that should understand the gospel, and as he talked to them, he said, I'm going to present the gospel to you, but I'm going to leave out one very important element. And so he talked to them about morality, and he talked to them about good works, and he talked to them about worship, and when he got done with this long talk with all these students, he asked them, he says, does anyone know what I left out of this presentation today that is essential to the gospel? And not one student in that chapel raised their hand. Now, I've preached in a number of Christian college campuses, and whenever you ask students a question, they're always eager to show you what they know and what they've learned, but not one student raised their hand, and Don Miller said, I left out the most important part of the gospel, and that is Jesus Christ. Not one time did I mention Jesus. Not one time did I mention what Christ did for us at Calvary, but instead I talked to you about what Christians do, and you don't understand that without Christ and without the cross, there is no gospel. There is no good news because there are all kinds of religions of good works. There are all kinds of religions of sacrifices, but only the gospel contains the good news of the cross. 
And to a culture that you and I are living in that believes, as some of the people I talk to, that if you're just good enough, you'll go to heaven, it's more important than ever before that you and I understand the gospel. Peter Kreef wrote these words, and they're on the screen. There are no good people, and the best of us say so the most clearly. Saints agree they are sinners. Only sinners think they are saints. Only fools for demand justice, for where would we be if he got it? No, our mercy is our only hope from God, and our neighbor's only hope from us as well. God's mercy, God's grace demonstrated to us in Christ. We have to come to terms with the gospel and the culture and the generation that we're living with. Unless we come to terms with the gospel and genuinely understand what the gospel is, then we've missed it. If you'll go ahead and put that point up, come to terms with the gospel so folks can follow along with me. You see, the gospel says that God created the world and all of us, the whole world, the whole creation, all of us belong to God by right of creatorship. You belong to God, I belong to God. Secondly, the gospel teaches us that as human beings, we have sinned against a holy God, and because of our sin, we've been separated from God, and because of our sin, unless there is redemption, unless there is mercy, you and I can never hope to be in the presence of God. And if that angers you, then it just means you have never come to terms with the gospel. The third thing that the gospel says is, talks about Jesus Christ, who was born of the virgin. He lived and died. He lived a sinless life, and he died for our sins and was resurrected on the third day so that at the cross where he lay his life down, as you just sang about, you and I could be raised to new life again. And our response to that is that all who trust God, all who trust that God has provided redemption for us in Christ, that God will save us from our sins, and God's mercy and God's grace demonstrated alone is what makes us ready for heaven. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. So just remember four words. God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. If you can remember those four words, then you can share the good news of the gospel. It's the reason the Bible says that this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. It sounds like the Apostle Paul agrees with Peter Kreeft. He says, only sinners call themselves saints. Saints recognize there are no good people among us. And I hope this morning, if you're listening online and you're watching and maybe you're not a believer, don't tune out, but just listen to this because it's the most beautiful story of God's love and how you and I can be merciful people. As a matter of fact, would you just like this Facebook feed or YouTube feed and share it this morning because you have friends that need to hear this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, and movies have been made about his life, listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about mercy. The merciful will be found consorting with publicans and sinners, careless of the shame they incur thereby. In order that they may be merciful, they cast away the most priceless treasure of human life, their personal dignity and honor. In other words, what people think of them. 
For the only honor and dignity they know is their Lord's own mercy to which they alone owe their very lives. What's he saying? That merciful people are saturated with the gospel. Merciful people are drenched with the gospel. It's like merciful people have sat under the waterfall of God's amazing grace. Passionate followers of Christ are more than just people who do good works and who believe certain fundamental truths, but they are people that have been soaked in the mercy and the grace of God. And one of their greatest desires is to share that mercy with others. It's the reason we said at the beginning of this series, we looked at Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You look good this morning. You look good. You got up this morning and you got dressed carefully. Some of you stood in front of the mirror and you worked like I did with what you've got, and you don't worry with what you don't have. You just work with what you've got, right? But you, you do your best to make yourself presentable. And it's amazing to me that when God says, I've called you to be a holy people, the first thing he talks about is mercy. It's not an attitude that we're better than other people. It's not an attitude that we do this and they don't. It's in other words, we've been drenched. We have been saturated I found myself driving to church this morning singing an old chorus that Becky and I used to sing a lot together called, Saturate Me With Your Anointing, Saturate Me With Your Holy Presence. And suddenly I just changed it and I said, Lord, saturate me with your mercy. Saturate me with your merciful presence so that I can show other people the same kind of abundant mercy you've shown me. When we sang those words, I couldn't help but open my eyes, lower my hands, and look at that cross and remember that Christ laid down in order he could raise me up to new life and that my sins could be forgiven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Therefore, I am called and you are called to be merciful people. The church is a movement of mercy. The church is a movement of mercy and grace. God, when he sent Christ, he raised up this whole new movement called the church. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't because Israel had failed. It was what God had planned all along, all those sacrifices. Any godly Jew knew that the sacrifices did not take away his sins, but the sacrifices pointed to him who was to come that would take away their sins. And so the church was the fulfillment of that as God raised up a movement of mercy. And because God has shown me mercy, now he expects me to show others mercy. Once a man came to Jesus, a, a good religious man, and he says, Lord, and he told the Lord about what a good man he was, and he says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him a story. Jesus told him a story about a good Samaritan, and the Samaritan who bravely risked his life after two religious people walked past and left him dying in a ditch. This Samaritan that was despised and hated by the Jews, this Samaritan showed mercy that the religious people never shown. And too often the world doesn't think of the church and mercy in the same context because too often we have failed to be the merciful people that God has called us to be. And yet, because we have received mercy, God has called us to be merciful. 
And so at his own expense and at risk to his own life, because there were bandits along the road, he bandaged his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him to a, a motel, and he said, listen, take care of him. And when I return, if I owe any more, I will pay it for his care. Evidently, the Samaritan was a man of good reputation and good credit, and so they trusted him. And so Jesus asked him, he said, now, with this story in mind, what do you think? Who do you think is the righteous one? What do you think you should do? And in Luke 10, 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Would you write a question out on your outline? Would you write a question maybe on your notes at home? Who do I need to show mercy to this week? Who do I need to be merciful to? Second thing I'd like you to see this morning from the word of the Lord is, I am blessed when I am merciful. Do you know that? I am blessed when I'm merciful. There's another old song that Becky and I used to sing together, and I sang that this week when I wrote this, this particular point out. I am blessed, I am blessed every day that I live. I am blessed, and I went through the whole song, and, and then I thought, I am blessed when I'm merciful. Jesus makes an amazing promise there. He says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, can I tell you how I read that this morning? And, and my reading is accurate. It's not inaccurate. God blesses those who are shown mercy because in the future, I'm going to need mercy again. I'm always in need of mercy. I've been in need of mercy two times this morning. There were a group of people who came in to pray with me this morning. And um, as the last ones were coming in, I said, the more they come, the better they look. And the man who came in first looked and says, well, I was the first one in here, so what are you trying to say? A few minutes later, I went out to the, where the praise team was. I needed some assistance with something my wife normally does for me. And I walked out. I didn't see her. And so I asked another lady to help me. And I said, I don't know where Becky's at, but um, normally she does this for me. But thank you for helping. And Becky's over there waving at me, and everybody's laughing. I need mercy. I got to tell you something. I live my life in constant need of mercy. And I got a feeling there's some other folks in here that are with me on that. You need mercy too. If you do, say a big amen. I think that was 100%. I will be a happy man. I will enjoy happiness when I am merciful. I mean, I was happy when Christ was merciful to me. I, I'm telling you the burden of my sins. I, I was almost good of mine to put the picture. I still have the picture of the church where I gave my heart to Christ. And when we were celebrating uh, Becky's mother's 80th uh, birthday just recently, I had to drive by that church. And I just got out and took pictures and began to thank God again. I could take you to the very place where I knelt and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And all the happiness and the joy of knowing my sins were forgiven. And I got happy just standing there. And I lifted my hands on the sidewalk. It didn't matter who saw me. I'm happy. There's full of great. And of course, you're in the Bible Belt, and they don't think that's weird. Up here, they think I've, somebody was trying to shoot me. But down there, they just thought it was normal. And I just thanked God for mercy and grace. But I have discovered in life that when I am able to show mercy to others, I am happy. If you want to be happy, be kind. That word can also be translated mercy. Be merciful to the poor. It is a sin to despise anyone. Read that last part with me. It is a sin to despise anyone. Say it again. It is a sin to despise anyone. 
Now, what group of people do you despise? What group of people do you find yourself just not happy about, not happy with? And maybe you're even too religious to say, I despise them, but you know in your heart there's no mercy towards them. If you want to be happy, be merciful. It's a sin to despise anyone. William Barclay said, a Christless world is a callous world. And mercy was never characteristic of a pagan's life. Those of you that are amateur historians, those of you who love to read history, you know that Barclay is right in this comment. It was one of the things that arrested, it was one of the things that just captured the early world's attention was how merciful Christians were. The fact that Christians would take children from garbage dumps, the fact that children were, would be rescued that had been rejected, the fact that lepers and people with contagious diseases, the Christians showed mercy upon them. It was one of the things that they were not only admired for, it was one of the things that they were mocked for, that they were merciful people. And in a Christless world, people who were born like me would have been cast upon the garbage dump, and there the dogs would have probably have consumed me <coughs> as a living little baby because that's just what you did with disabled children. In a Christless world, somebody with a contagious disease like COVID, a doctor or nurse would not have risked themselves for you. In a Christless world, Dr. D. James Kennedy once wrote a book, What If Christ Had Never Been Born? In a Christless world, it is the worst place. It is the dream of every futuristic science fiction writer who writes about civilization collapsing. Civilization was collapsing on itself until right in the middle of history, Christ laid down his life upon the cross and he answered the powers of hell by redeeming you and I from sin and breaking the power of sin. God showed mercy upon you and me. Hallelujah. Now, how do I show mercy? That's another thing. Because mercy is more than just feeling sorry for somebody. And sometimes when you're trying to be helpful, you can be hurtful. And we've learned that the hard way. Sometimes helping can hurt people. And there's a wonderful book, if you ever want to read it on that subject, When Helping Hurts. But how can you be merciful? Number one, be patient. Be patient. Can I ask a question? Can, you remember how Joan Rivers would once in a while say, can we just talk? Can we just talk? How many of you know there are some people that are just different? Do you know any just different people? If you don't, then you're different. I mean, some people, they've got their idiosyncrasies. They've got their quirks. And for people like me, Sometimes I can get under my skin, you know? And I, I really don't want to be around them. And I have to deal with that. I have to really work hard with that. Uh, we have really close friends that it just used to bother me sometimes when we would be together and eating popcorn. She would take popcorn and she'd just do this right here. She'd just rub it all over her lips and then she'd put it in her mouth. And I didn't say anything, but I told Becky going home, I said, wasn't that weird, you know? 
Then we went out to lunch with them one night, and she would take, and she'd smell the food, and she'd rub it here, and she'd taste it. And I didn't want to go out with them anymore because it was kind of grossing me out. And so finally one day, her husband and I were real close, and I just said, you know, your wife makes love to her food before she eats it. And he started laughing. He says, you know, you're absolutely right. He said, but let me tell you. He said, she nearly starved to death as a child. And he told me about this horrendous, neglected childhood that she had. And he told me about how that they would go days sometimes without anything to eat. He told me about her background, and I began to cry. And I went to her, and I put my arms around her, and I told her, will you please forgive me? I was so uncomfortable in your presence. I told her, you know, what I told her husband, and just wanting to understand, she cried, she hugged me. And so the next time we all got together to eat popcorn and to have fellowship, I was rubbing popcorn all over my lips right there with her. You see, you can learn a lot when you're patient with people. That's the reason the Bible says, always be humble and always be patient, or excuse me, gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's amazing to me. I make allowance for people's weirdness, their differences, their quirkiness. I make allowances of that because of my love, because of the way God has changed my heart. Always be more. Second thing is, be helpful. Be helpful. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, never walk away from someone who deserves your help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Hold up your hands this morning. Would you just hold up your hands and look at them? Would you say this, my hand is God's hands? Would you say it again, my hand is God's hands. One more time, my hand is God's hands. Remember the gospel? God, God who created everything, man who sinned, Christ who came to redeem us from our sins. Our response is to confess our sins and believe that Christ died for our sins. Trust him. He comes into our lives. We become his body. He is the head. We are the hands. We are God's hands of mercy to a world. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? We're his hands of mercy. Now, all of us are called to ministry, and the word ministry means servant. And so when you think about mercy, think about serving other people. So ask yourself, and maybe write this down this morning, who can I serve this week? Who is it that I can serve? And then number three, be forgiving. Be forgiving. In other words, give people a second chance. Give people a second chance. They deserve it. You deserve it. <clears throat> You're going to need a second chance sometime. There was a man in the Bible, he had sinned terribly. I'm not even going to go into his sin. He had sinned terribly in the Corinthian church. So much so that Paul really, now this is going to sound contrary to mercy, but understand, Paul sincerely rebuked the church for not dealing with the sin. Being merciful doesn't mean that you don't deal with sin. But when Paul taught them how to deal with the sin, well, the church just went overboard. Have you ever gone overboard on something? Have you ever been told you need to drink a gallon of water a day and you try to drink a gallon of water the next day? <laughs> Have you ever, you know, just gone all out on exercise and the next day you couldn't move? 
few years ago, a friend of mine called and says, I understand you run 12 miles. I go, yeah. He goes, you do that once a week. I go, yeah. He says, can I run with you? I go, yeah. So we ran 12, actually we ran 13 miles that day. Now he's a lot younger than I am, a lot healthier than I am. We ran 13 miles. That night his wife called me. She says, what did you do to my husband? I said, I didn't do anything. She says, he's in the bed. He can't move. He's vomiting. What did you do to him? I says, I didn't do anything. He just came and ran 13 miles with me. She says, he's never run more than two miles in his whole life. (laughs) Secretly inside, I felt so good. (laughs) Show mercy. But sometimes you've got to give people a second chance. Well, today, he's a mountain climber. Today, he's a rock climber. Today, he's an uber athlete. He's like Beth, who moved from our church to Grand Rapids a couple of years ago. He's a hypermiler. He determined he was never going to be bedridden like that again. And so, he goes all over the nation and the world running races. People need a second chance. But back to this Corinthian man. The church wasn't giving him a second chance, so Paul has to write them again. And, 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 and listen now, don't miss this. Now is the time to forgive this man, help him back on his feet. Listen, sin will break you. Sin will destroy you. Sin will cripple you in ways that you've never dreamed. But the worst thing the church can do is not to show mercy to lost people. The worst thing the church can do is not to show mercy to those who've sinned, because if we do, we keep them down. We keep them broken. He says, if you, all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. In other words, they are saturated with judgmentalism. They are saturated with criticism. They have not been drenched in the gospel. They're even bragging among themselves about who is the most spiritual, and Paul has to rebuke them for that. He's saying, you need to be drenched with the gospel. My counsel now is to pour on the love, pour on the mercy, pour on the grace. Who do you know this week that you need to pour on the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? That's what we're called to do. And then fourth, be in prayer for those who hurt you. Be in prayer for those who hurt you. All of us are going to be hurt. But it's awfully hard to stay angry at somebody that you're praying for. It's awfully hard to be judgmental towards somebody that you're praying. I mean, if you really want God to save them, if you really want God to to heal them, As a matter of fact, this is so important that sometimes God says, you know, leave your worship. You know, if there was somebody this morning that had hurt me or I'd hurt them, God said the most important thing I could do is just walk out of here right now and go to that person and try to make things right. More important than me even preaching the word to you this morning. You see, when we were in prayer for others, God begins to change our hearts. The thing about prayer is this, look at me. Most of us think of prayer as a way to get from God what we want. The real goal in prayer is for us to conform to what God wants. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. Most of us think about prayer as a way to get from God what we want. But the real goal of prayer is for you and I to conform to what God wants. So I know that God wants to heal the sick, so I have no problem praying for the sick. 
I know that God wants to bless the merciful. I have no problem for that. But sometimes there are things that I struggle with, and I go, God, but they hurt me. Lord, they did this, they did that. And this is Jesus' words. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Who do you need to pray for this week? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a husband or a wife? Is it a neighbor? And then finally, before we take communion this morning, build relationships. Build relationships. Now, I got to tell you, mercy is all about building relationships. And look at me. I want, you, I want to be fair. I want to be honest. If you work at building relationships the way Jesus built relationships, be prepared to be attacked. If you work at building relationships the way that Jesus built relationships, be prepared to be attacked. Our nation has been in a cultural war for 40 years. And the conclusion of sociologists who are Christians the conclusion of people who study this and know about it a lot more than I do, like Jefferson Davis Hunter, like Rodney Clapp, like some of the material that just was presented at the General Council, is we're not winning the culture war. And it appears that sometimes, now listen, it appears that sometimes we're more interested in winning the argument than we are in winning people to Jesus. My job and your job as a Christian, or my calling and your calling as a Christian, is not to win an argument. Our calling as passionate followers of Christ is to celebrate his love and to persuade other people to become passionate followers of Christ. It's to win them to Jesus. And if we can win them to Jesus, their hearts will change. When Don Miller stood in front of that Bible college campus and talked to them about Christian culture, that's basically what he was doing. When he shared with them about Christian culture, Culture that you and I love, culture that you and I treasure. Worship and prayer and praise, sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, frugality and stewardship, the Bible, all, all that we love. But at the center of it all is what we forget sometimes, is Jesus Christ. And that wonderful chorus that we sing here at Woodland, Jesus, 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 at the center of it all. Miller says that that campus didn't even recognize that the most important element that was missing was Jesus. And friends, when you have Jesus, there's mercy. In Matthew 9, verse 10, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. 
The Pharisees saw this and asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Those who are sick do. Learn what this means. Did you know Jesus quoted this verse two times? Two separate incidents in his ministry, Jesus quoted this verse. Read it with me. I want mercy, not sacrifices. Say it again. I want mercy, not sacrifices. One more time, please. I want mercy, not sacrifices. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I want mercy. Would you do that? I want mercy. Oh, Becky, I need mercy, don't I? Are you going to give it? I live every day of my life in need of mercy. I was trying to bless somebody this morning. Have you ever tried to bless somebody and it come back on you? And it wasn't a blessing? I wrote down an important calendar date for them. And on that calendar date for their retirement, I wrote down, it is finished, to remind myself to pray for them. It is finished. And he goes, oh, pastor, please don't pray that way. I don't want to be finished. I'm thinking, why not? And I said, there's resurrection, and that's not the way he received it. You see, sometimes I'm quirky. Sometimes I'm different. And if you didn't think you were different this morning, you are quirky. Sometimes, you got to read the rest of this. I've come to call sinners, not people who think they don't have any flaws. And you'll be criticized if you try to build relationships with people that disagree. You'll be criticized if you're a Democrat and you try to build a relationship with a Republican or if you're a Republican and you try to build a relationship with a Democrat. There'll be people that say, how can you do that? You'll be criticized if you try to build a relationship with somebody who lives a homosexual lifestyle. You'll be criticized if you try to build a relationship with somebody who lives on the street. You'll be criticized when you try to feed the hungry. And there will be people that will call the police and call you names. And they'll say, you're exacerbating the problem, not helping. And then the police come to us and say, we're so sorry. We have no choice. We've known you've been here, but you got to move. There are people complaining now. And so I say, if we go, and they go, oh, don't tell us where you're going. If we don't know where you're going, then we don't have to deal with it. I just want you to, I just want to be honest with you. There are always people who think they're flawless, and they don't understand people like you and me who know we need mercy. I think Paul understood this better than Peter. Paul tried to live a sinless life. Paul kept all the law. He was very, he was very good. You would want Paul as a neighbor. And when Paul gave his heart to Jesus, 
He had no trouble understanding mercy. But Peter, Peter seemed to have a problem understanding mercy because he had been a salty fisherman. He had lived a salty life. He swore, cussed. He even told Jesus, his Lord, I'm a terrible sinner, stay away from me. But Jesus in his mercy, that just drew him closer to Peter. But after that, Peter wanted to be a godly person. So don't misunderstand me this morning. It's a good thing to want to be godly. It's a good thing to live a godly life. But in your pursuit of godliness, be like Paul. No, you can never, ever, ever make yourself righteous. Because Peter, for fear of what the godly people thought, he withdrew from fellowship from the people that the godly people thought were ungodly. And the closer you and I get to the ungodly, the more we're showing the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Pastor Corey, would you come and lead us in communion this morning? In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do for us. God, we thank you as we hold this cup in our hands that we are reminded of the new life you've given us because of Christ. And Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands, we're thankful for Christ's body that was given, that was sacrificed for us. That he was willing to die on a cross for us. And God, your word says that by his stripes we are healed. And so I pray right now for all those that need a touch in their body, for all those that need healing today, God, will you do a miracle in their lives? Let's break the bread and partake together. And God, as we hold this cup in our hands, we're so thankful, God, that your blood that was shed at Calvary washed away our sin. God, it's because of Jesus' blood that, that forgave us that we are here today. For your word says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And, and so today we say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying. Thank you for giving your life and shedding your blood so that we may be forgiven. Let's partake together. Father, this morning is... 
we've shared in communion, as we've drank, God, we say thank you. Thank you for the love that was demonstrated at Calvary. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for shedding your blood and forgiving us of our sin. And God, one day we look forward to your return where we get to spend eternity with you. God, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're so thankful that you're here today. And, and uh, if you prayed with pastor today and crossed that line of faith and invited Christ into your life today, we have a little gift for you that we'd love to give you. If you're here today, just stop by one of our tables and just ask for that book, and we'd be glad to give it to you. And if you're watching online right now, if you would email us, at info at woodland.church and let us know that you prayed that prayer and, and uh, you'd like to receive that book. Let us know that and we'd be glad to send it to you free of charge. There's no cost to you and that book is going to help you in your next steps and your growth and, and uh, help you understand the commitment that you just made as well and the decision that you made. And so please email us and let us know so that we can be praying for you as well. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today. And as you're leaving, don't forget, turn in those communication cards for us and also turn in your offering at the ushers in the back. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.